Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Diana, thank you so much for joining the podcast, Creating Community for Good. Today, the idea here is where we can talk to inspirational leaders like you and those who are listening can learn about donor motivations and what makes somebody of such influence and motivation tick and Mm -hmm. how to best communicate with you so that we can bridge the gap between those organizations that are trying to really have an impact and folks who are having an impact like you and you continue to inspire others and help others to create empathy. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm looking forward to this. Good. Well, um, so we met at the, uh, at the City Summit 2020 last weekend, where uh, a room full of inspirational philanthropists, authors, inspri- inspirational leaders, and writers such as yourself. As somebody who's a prolific writer and speaker and contributor to society as your life's work, I'm curious about where did that come from? Where did you get the spark to be a giver and inspire others? Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't realize until later in life where it all really began. But I had a grandmother who had a boarding house and she was a wonderful cook. And I just kind of gathered from her that she liked gathering people around the table and she liked to feed them. She liked nurturing people. And my parents were early foodies, you know. We would travel miles out of our way on our road trips to have some German pancakes somewhere in Portland or, you know, just things like that that led me into a culinary career. And it was, um, we really, my late husband Paul and I really surfed a wave into the food world at a time when it was just beginning to gather momentum. Julia Child was on the air. People were interested in French cooking, and I had studied cooking in Paris just out of, out of a love for cooking. And I didn't realize, I mean, it's very interesting because we had a very, very successful career in food and entertaining. We had a cooking school on Sunset Boulevard in LA. We wrote six cookbooks. The first one won Cookbook of the Year. And I was featured with Martha Stewart as cooking experts East and West in House and Garden magazine. So this is a long time ago. And Wolfgang Puck used to come and teach at our school. And I would would just pay him $200 and he would bring all the food. So you know how long ago that was. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Get him there for that. Um, But it was a, I just still didn't realize. I mean, I knew I loved cooking and I knew I loved teaching cooking. But I didn't realize for a long time that what I really loved was gathering people around the table. Yes. So at my cooking classes in our home in the beginning, these people would come, people that I'd never heard of before, heard about the classes, and they were very popular. And there were lots of movie stars there. I mean, it was just a really interesting time when people were cooking at home and spending days, you know, making a meal. That did not last forever, as you might I don't know if you were born in 1985, but women went, <laughs> women went into the workplace all of a sudden and they could, had no interest at all in spending days making a meal that would disappear in a few hours. So Paul and I were kind of left in the cooking world that we loved, which was about 
party giving and entertaining. It was the rise of the super chefs were coming in then, and that world did not appeal to us, that competitive, outdoing each other, you know, it just didn't work for us. And we were invited serendipitously to go into the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War to make a documentary about American citizens going to Russia and speaking to their, their people there. Our governments were not talking to each other. And the opportunity came to go with Dennis Weaver and Mike Farrell and mm. uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard and some very famous people, the real Patch Adams, people whose books we had read and would enjoy hanging out with. And something very magical happened on that trip. In fact, my whole life has been magical. And my next book is called Expect Magic. I saw that. I'm excited about that. (laughs) It's real. There's a lot to it, actually, all the magic that's happened in my life. But at a time when we didn't know how we were going to make a living anymore, what we began to realize was that these people who were all loners, they were all activists wanting the world to be a better place. And hanging out with them, we began to see the magic of them sharing their resources in order to reach a wider audience. Mm. And it was just so amazing to see that. And at the same time, in New York, these power breakfasts were beginning. It was really the beginning of networking. And one day, it just kind of came to us that we could have breakfast meetings not in our home, but in a restaurant that isn't normally open for breakfast. We were used to taking our cooking on the road and having sound equipment and setting up in restaurants in order to teach an audience how to cook. And so we started in the Hills area and started something called the Inside Edge, which over time became the Inside Edge Foundation for Education, which has been my great philanthropy in the world, really, is... is We've hosted 1,500 speakers at a breakfast forum in three different cities. Wow. And it has been very, very successful. Some of the first people to show up there were Jack Canfield, who had never written a book yet, Dr. Barbara DeAngelis, who had never written a book yet, oh my gosh. Uh, Louise Hay, who just had a new book, Dr. Susan Jeffers, who'd never written a book. Uh, we used to give these parties where you had to show up as who you were going to be in five years. And you had to stay in character the whole evening. And some of the members of the Inside Edge would dress up as paparazzi and be snapping photographs and everything and interviewing people about how they had gotten to this incredible place in five years. Oh, my gosh. It was so amazing. Well, Jack Canfield wrote a lot about my work in his books, The Success Principles. He talks about that party. Okay. Uh, show up as who you're going to be in five years. And so Dr. Susan Jeffers came in a limousine with her husband, and she was all dressed up, and she had three mock books. And she said that she shared with us that she had just returned from her third New York Times bestseller tour oh. in those five years, and she did. And she she did. did. She actually, in those five years, she published uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway and two other books and went from speaking at the inside edge and shaking like a leaf to speaking at Madison Square Garden with Louise Hay five years later. So um, it was like a Petri dish of consciousness and people were there to network for all the right reasons. I would take their business cards away 
and tell them to get to know each other and see what really happened out of that. And it was very, very amazing. And the Inside Edge is still going now. We're just in our 35th year. And um, we've had all the top speakers in the world come and speak. In fact, our next speaker, well, our speaker on March 11th this year is Sarah Bonbronick, who wrote Simple Abundance. Okay. And she's just spent um, several years rewriting that book and adding 120 pages mm. to update it, you know, because 25 years ago, we didn't have all the, the internet and the social media and all of that. So, and our phones as constant companions. So <laughs> she has updated that book and it's going to be really exciting to hear from her. That's wonderful. And where is that? Is our tickets still available? Yeah, they definitely will be. InsideEdge.org is the website, but we just took the website down to completely redo it. But on Facebook, you can find Inside Edge Foundation for Education, and there will be links there to make reservations at Eventbrite. People can go to Eventbrite and put it in Inside Edge. Okay. And uh, they'll find what's coming up and how to make reservations. Great. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes too. Okay, good. That's wonderful. You yourself are a renowned author of seven best-selling and award-winning books, including Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah, it's about cookbook and Chicken Soup for Body and to Inspire Body and Soul. I love it. And you first co-author in the series. Okay. Because people in the beginning, the, the first two books really took off after being turned down by at least forty publishers. I know Jack and Mark say it's one hundred and thirty publishers, but <laughs> Uh, it seems to me there weren't that many in those days. <laughs> but um, they were number one and two on the bestseller list. And the publisher had, I didn't know when they asked me to be the co-author of the cookbook, I didn't know that they had a pre-order of like 750000 from QVC and Sam's Club. So uh. they didn't know how to write a cookbook. And luckily for me, they gave me a third of the book and... Uh, they could get it done in three months. And it's, um, it launched me back into the food world, you know, that was really magical. That's wonderful. And, and tell me about the book that you wrote. I understand it was commissioned by the American Heart Association, Queen of Hearts. Oh, well, I have queenofhearts.com is a domain that I have. And so I have used that in the book. Love Your Heart is the book. Love Your Heart, Follow the Red Thread to a Heart-Centered Life. Yeah. Um, uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, I had a sudden heart attack, and luckily, I my husband knew to get me right to the hospital, and they they put in three long stamps. And thirty six hours later, I walked out of that hospital. Oh my! And gosh. I was on a cruise ship two weeks later in Turkey. So oh my goodness, it was really good because I wouldn't I wouldn't be telling you the story if I'd been on a cruise ship. They couldn't have possibly done what they needed to do. Oh, thank God for medicine and wonderful yeah. doctors out there that are saving yeah. lives every day. It's, it's incredible. But anyway, wow. I thought as a philanthropy thing that I would write a book for the American Heart Association mm. because the American Heart Association is really very clinical. It's all about, you know, what are your numbers and mm-hmm. things like that, taking care of your heart physically. And I always feel that the heart is much more than that. And so it was important to me to spend some time really, I took it as a wake-up call you know, of what is the message mm. that this heart attack brought and what is the opportunity? And when I really thought about the legend of the red thread, almost every culture has a red thread legend. 
In China, they believe that when we're born, we're connected by an invisible red thread to all those we're destined to meet. Oh. Isn't that amazing? I haven't heard that. No, it's very mystical, and I love it, and, and it's very, very Chinese. And the Inuit culture believes there is a red thread that weaves together the meaning in our lives. And the physics world, the red thread is very meaningful as well. And I began delving into this, and then I connected it to our circulatory system, you know, our veins, as a red thread. A beautiful metaphor. And I had a wonderful time playing around with that metaphor and writing that book. Oh, that's beautiful. And then I donated a lot of books for the Go Red for Women luncheons, and I spoke oh, yes. to the American Heart Association on the cruise for a cause that cruises put on and raised oh. $150,000 for, for the American Heart Association. Oh, that's so wonderful. You are just a shining example of inspiration and charity and contribution to society. Thank you. What was the... But you know, it really... The thing is, if we're not giving, we're not living. If it's all about us, then it just doesn't have the meaning. Mm. And somebody said to me just last night, they said, Diana, you enrich people. And I thought, mm. what a great compliment that is, because that means that I'm, I'm pouring out useful something for people, and yeah. I get back so much back, you know. Mm. People are so loving to me. Everywhere I go, people just seem to be, and I have this husband who is so adorable, mm. and he is such a loving wonderful. Man. And people run up to him in the store, and they say, I don't know who you are, but I just want to stand next to you, you know. <laughs> He's just. Uh, well, that's how I felt about you. Oh. <laughs> I remember when you both walked in, and it was that. It was I don't know who you are. I want to meet you. And then as, as soon as I learned who you were, I was like, Wait, what? We just met. This is so cool. <laughs> that is cool. Uh, yeah, these are the best years of my life because I oh. feel like I'm really getting what it's all about—the deep meaning of it. That's a great oh. point, and I want to understand more about that. That these are the best years of your life because. As we all get older, we have different phases and stages of life. And I feel like there's so much energy put into the marketplace of youthfulness for women in particular, how to stay young. And I think that age becomes a terrifying thing. Tell mm -hmm. me about why this is the best time of your life and any advice you might have for women as they go through the stages of life. Well, for me, it's been a spiritual journey. I've had a mystical side to me all my life. I also had a rather difficult, I mean, I had a blessed and an abundant childhood, but I had a father who was manic depressive and very demeaning. And I really was under the illusion that my looks were my value when I was young. And that was very limiting and separating, you know, because I was very stuck in my persona and looking good and all of that and it seemed like I spent all my early years striving for admiration I would say mm. and striving doesn't feel good mm. you know uh, even 10 15 years ago I was still in that striving mode and I've always wanted to be past that so I've always read a lot of books by people that I feel have something to offer. Listen to 1,500 speakers for eight years at the Inside Edge. Asked a lot of questions, done a lot of journal writing. I took journal writing 
at UCLA, there's a particular kind of journal writing uh, that was called At a Journal Workshop by a man named Ira Progoff. Mm. And you learn to journal with different aspects of yourself and life and work. And you can journal with wisdom figures. You know, if you want to have a conversation with Mother Teresa, you, you set it up in a certain way where you make stepping stones of your relationship with her as far as you know her life to be. And then you have a conversation. You learn to listen very deeply with your intuition. And some very valuable work came out of that for me through the years. In fact, the whole Inside Edge was born out of that work. Mm. And even many years later, when my late husband was dying, he said, uh, Diana, I don't want you to be alone. And I said, well, send me someone. And I said, and he said, I will. I will. And when he passed, I could still feel him with me so much that I began journaling with him. Oh, wow. And uh, things came out of that journaling that I couldn't possibly, you know, he couldn't possibly have known, but my new husband showed up two months later at the Inside Edge. Wow. And I wrote a book called Send Me Someone, A True yes. Story of Love Here and Hereafter that I sold to Lifetime as a film that they didn't make because the script wasn't up to their standards. But it's been a lifeline for me, being able, learning to listen, really, really listen to what the divine communicates is, has been my greatest uh, accomplishment, I think. And it's been through that that I've really learned to get past all the striving. Mm. And magic just happens around me. I mean, three or four times a day, it's just crazy. The timing, the places that I'll find myself, the way we found each other. You know, I hadn't seen Mark Victor Hansen in maybe 10 years. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And um, we have a long history. I mean, he would speak at the Inside Edge before he'd ever written the book. But we went to the city summit and Ted and I checked into the hotel, went into lunch. The restaurant was completely empty except for a couple that walked in ahead of us. And that was Mark and Crystal. <sighs> so they said, come eat lunch with us. And I mean, you know, just it's constant. People are put right in my path. And it's just, I'm very tuned into the fact that I, I keep my eyes open for that. And so it, it just seems to happen all the time. Wow. <laughs> I feel like that happens for me a lot too. I feel like I get really interesting connections that uh -huh. I just am delighted by and I'm so grateful for. Mm -hmm. How That's much time do you spend meditating or journaling? Oh, well, meditating is something that's really important. When my new husband and I came together, he had spent 20 years with Maharishi. Oh. And he had sent a man around the world for seven years interviewing people who were enlightened. And so at our first dinner, he said to me, do you meditate? I said, yes. And we had both started out with Transcendental Meditation. Interestingly enough, within a few months of each other in 1970 and 71. Wow. And Ted then went to India and talked to all sorts of enlightened people and connected 
here with an amazing guru who's been with for a long time, Srimad. And he wrote a book called The Enlightenment Code. Mm. And it is a brilliant book. The Enlightenment Code. Okay. It's available on Kindle and on Amazon. Sure. And uh, so we meditate often twice a day for at least half an hour. Do you? And do you still do Transcendental Meditation, TM? No, it's progressed a lot, Mm. um, really, because Maharishi was amazing in that he opened meditation to everybody just by giving a bees mantra, you know, just a, a very short sound. Yeah, my dad did TM. He taught it to me as a child. Really? Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great to have that early. I know. I always thought, what the heck is, what are you doing? He'd just be, you know, don't talk right now. As a kid, you're trying to figure out what's going on while you're just sitting there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so he, he did eventually teach me at some point in my young childhood. I, I don't know how old I was, but TM was so popular for a it time. It was. And what was great, he took the tradition out of it. You know, uh-huh. it didn't have all the, the, the Hindu or the Buddhist or anything. Right, the dogma. It was just about attaining silence and, you know, what, kind of waking up the world. People being in that state are the, their heightened awareness. Much can happen in that atmosphere by people waking up. So he did a huge service by bringing that globally. Mm. Uh, but there's a whole lot more to all the many traditions and so on. And so it's been a path of uh, a lifetime path for my husband. Mm. And uh, for me, you know, just being around my husband and, and meditating so much. That's wonderful. And now there's some great teachers like Eckhart Tolle's book. Yes. You know, the A New Earth mm. is the one book that I would take with me to a desert island, I think. It's oh, really? A New Earth? New Earth. Okay, I haven't read that one. Oh, I'll add that to my list. You are for a treat. I have the most dog-eared copy of it in the world. Do you? Underlined and I mean, for some reason, the clarity of all of that is so accessible that it it just makes me jump up and down in delight. The the teachers have come so far in bringing us to places that we never could have attained. I love that. That's so interesting. Thank you for those tips. <laughs> yeah. Um, so people who are listening to this podcast may be fundraisers or executive directors of nonprofits or donors, other leaders like you. It's a wide audience. And I would ask you, if you could draw a line towards abundance, it sounds like everything that you're, the red line that you're weaving is that you have a life of abundance and you have a perspective of delight of magic, of what you need will be provided. And I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that and what I've read about you. Would you say that's fair? And do you think that those lessons, if so, could be applied to the nonprofit sector who is doing such good work in the world to, you know, make the lives of others better, but often struggle with Mm -hmm. how to keep up with it financially, you know, Mm -hmm. and how to they struggle with fundraising and constant grind of figuring out finances and how to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think expansiveness is really key. Mm. People can be so frightened that they're not going to survive. And and this goes for charities too. That they become very needy. Yes. And I think what works more is the 
if, it, if it's apparent that they're serving a need that is really blessing the world, mm. you know, that really is coming from a pure place and making the world a better place. I think we're all here to be the leading edge of a better world. And in fact, if you study the Abraham Hicks work, I think they say it that way, maybe much better than I'm saying it right now. But mm. we are all like this, the leading edge of the divine into the world mm. or, or for good. And the more we can live in that space of wanting the world to be happier, better, kinder, more supportive of those in need and so on, that magic comes to them. Mm. You know, the magic appears. I was just reviewing Wayne Dyer's book called Real Magic. Mm. And he talks about that in a different way, that when he really learned to, to serve and to give and to be the most loving human that he could possibly be, that his life really opened up. Mm. And I love that. And, and I talk about that in, when I speak about Expect Magic mm. in groups. I started a group called Expect Magic for out here in Palm Springs, where I live. Some women that I knew and a friend knew, and we just gather once a month uh, with the idea of what kind of magic will come just by meeting each other. Mm. And it, it's the serendipity and the connections are just popping all over the place people who know people that, you know, that they know and, and all sorts of connections and new friendships. And so if a charity or a philanthropy is creating a space where people can connect really at a heart level, then only good things can happen there. Mm. You know, serving the donors. And the Inside Edge is being reinvented right now, mm. thank goodness, by a woman who cares so much about it. Robin Mullen and she's our new president and she has all these graphic skills and social media skills and things that I never had and we were getting kind of old you know I mean our membership was growing older and we, we were just kind of stuck in the past and she's just bringing it into modern times and it's, it's very exciting to see that mm. uh, and making it more attractive to younger people mm. and we're doing some podcasts. We've recorded and videotaped most of our speakers. So we have a lot of content that we can uh, begin to share. Oh, that's so wonderful. Mm. Do you remember the first time you ever gave a donation to a nonprofit? <laughs> yes. Oh, you've got a story. Tell us the story. This was a very long time ago. I think it was like 1961 or something like that. I was a member of something called the Mannequins of the Assistance League, and we we put on fashion shows. The Mannequins of? Uh, of the Assistance League. Oh, okay. Angeles. And I guess the Assistance League is everywhere, but our job was to put on fashion shows, and, and we did the Best Dressed Women of the Year events and stuff like that. But anyway, there was an announcement by the Herald newspaper, which was a big a competitor for the Times in Los Angeles, that they would give $1,000 to the woman who wore the most beautiful hat to Santa Anita to the races. And at the time, I was modeling at Bullock's Wilshire, which was this old, wonderful old department store. And my mother came to see me for lunch, and I said, I pointed the hat in the window there, and I said, the woman who wears that hat is going to win $1,000. And 
But they said, well, I'll buy it for you if you'll go to the races with me. So we did, and I did. <laughs> All right. And you won. <laughs> That's great. And they were, the women, believe me, the old society matrons of Los Angeles were not happy. Don't you please talk. <laughs> I had, you know, this upstart, because uh, they had been going every day in a different hat. And oh. this was the most beautiful hat. So I, I had to that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So that generated a thousand dollars to the nonprofit. In those days, a thousand dollars was more than it is now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I wonder what that would be valued at today, but that's significant funding. That's great. <laughs> um, is there any other organization beyond what you're doing um, with a um, with your active work that's a near and dear nonprofit to your heart? that you continued to give to and to be a donor? I have a very dear friend. In fact, I just had tea with her yesterday. Her name is Rachel Gruden, and you probably would love interviewing her. Oh, I would love that. She started something here in the desert that's very popular called Tools for Tomorrow. Tools for Tomorrow. Tools for Tomorrow. And it goes into all the schools and donates art supplies and all sorts of mentoring and things like that for children. and. She's an artist herself, and mm. she's just one of the most kind and loving human beings. Mm. So that's a, that's a pet charity here in, in uh-huh. Coachella Valley, for sure. If you were to be approached by another organization, what's the best way to win you over? Is it by inviting you to events, having one-on-one meetings, phone calls? Um, uh, service inviting days. You to speak is a good <laughs> inviting you to speak. I love to speak. I love, you? I love to speak. It's, it's a, a lot of fun. And sometimes I can donate copies of the chicken soup for the soul cookbook for the audience. Depending oh, that's on fun. The audience, yeah. Because I bought a lot of them. And yeah, I love to encourage, especially women. Yeah. You know, I like, I, but, but I've had an awful lot of men in my audiences lately and I can send you a list of amazing testimonials that I just got speaking on Expect Magic and sometimes I speak on two years to live, mm-hmm. you know, living our life as if we only have two healthy year, years left mm-hmm. and so how would we hone our life, what changes would we make, what kind of a legacy project might we mm-hmm. invent to leave the Leave the most of who we are still here when we're gone. Mm, I like that better than living today like it's your last day. It's, it's just a little bit too oh, much yeah. pressure. Yeah. <laughs> two years, you can be a little bit more thoughtful. Right. Healthy years. Two, two healthy years. Yeah, healthy years. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> it's not a fatal diagnosis. It's, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, great. You know, inviting me to speak is definitely a way. Okay, great. People can reach me through my website or diana at dianawentworth.com. Okay, terrific. Um, yeah, I love, to, I love to talk to people who are doing good things in the world. Oh, that's so wonderful. And if you were to have two years left to live and you had to get rid of all of your wealth, is there one place that you would give it? One cause? No, I think it's not that I have such a huge amount to live, leave, but I... Caring about my family, of course. You know, my three daughters and six grandchildren. But I would give of my time and of my heart as lavishly as I could. Mm, as lavishly, I love that. <laughs> Very descriptive. 
and lovely. <laughs> this is perfect. Diana, <laughs> is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share with the audience today? No, I think you did a really good job of interviewing me, and I, I really appreciate it. I think it's a great subject, and I think you're on a great course in your life. Oh, thank you so much. That's nice of you to say. <laughs> This will be among the first of the podcasts that are released. I've got a small group that are being collected currently, and then I'll release them once they're all finished. So I would recommend that you or anybody listening does give me feedback. I want to make sure that this is something that's substantive and meaningful to people. I and great. I haven't heard of anybody else doing it. And oh, really? Yeah, it's a great subject. Great. I, you know, I just, I want to, um, in terms of leaving a legacy, this is important to me. I'm a professional fundraising consultant, and I love the clients that I work with, and I feel like I've had an impact. But this is really an opportunity to explore my voice and my creative process in addition to more business. So this is really just as much for me as it might be for anybody else. But I'm really enjoying this, and I appreciate your time. I've been starting this tradition of, at the end of the interview, asking people to give a shout out to one person or one organization or one thing that you just want to make sure the world hears. It could be just to your husband or it could be, you know, for a cause, whatever really strikes you in the moment. Well, of course, dearest to my heart is the Inside Edge Foundation for Education. Yeah. It is a community. You know, it's something that's needed in the world. Not just being part of an online community, but actually being in a room with other people where you yeah. have very deep, meaningful conversations around the table. We do that at the Inside Edge. People, we talk, we have a table topic before the speaker and a table topic after the speaker. And people get to know each other on a really deep heart level. Mm -hmm. And then business happens out of that. Yeah, It's natural. It's natural. just, it's just um, intrinsic that it mm -hmm. happens. And I think one of my fears for today is that we're, we're not really connecting in person. We're not really looking in each other's eyes and um, sharing what's really meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. so I, uh, we're just beginning to get sponsors and now, and we're just moving into a world where we are gathering funds to grow. Mm -hmm. If I had these skills earlier mm -hmm. that this president now has, the Inside Edge would be worldwide. In its heyday, we had a thousand members, and you know, we had Ram Das, and we had—I mean, everybody in the world spoke at the Inside Edge, and that was the only way you could hear them. But now, it's—it it still has its own great value by being a community, and that—that's what's always meant the most. That's wonderful. Well, we'll recommend everybody check it out <laughs> okay. and give it love and energy for a reinvigoration. It sounds like, yeah. and for a continued continued con contribution. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. And that's part of this podcast, even though it's virtual, the idea is how can we just connect with people on a deeper level about things that are important to us, business, philanthropy, life, you know, and everything in between. Right. Love. Love. So sure. love on Valentine's Day. I know it. Too bad this is not going to be live, but we did record this on Valentine's Day for whoever is listening. So spreading the message of love and community. Right. <laughs> Diana, thank you so much. You're so beautiful. Your gift, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. You too, sweetheart. Thank you, and much love to you. You too. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. 
If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.